We can be assembled together in your name. We're thankful for our missionary brother that is with us. And Lord, the, the task that you have called him to, Lord, with men, it's impossible. But we know there's a way. And Lord, we ask that you would enable our church to have a part in this. And Lord, that you would keep us faithful to reach into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bless our time around your word that it would encourage us and strengthen us in your service. Lord, we pray that our time here this morning would result in worship to you. And Lord, a strengthening of our lives to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let's take our Bibles and we're going to start again this morning in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be moving a little bit through the scriptures. Um, never quite had a, a series end up like this. Uh, next Sunday, Brother uh, Kevin Folger will be preaching all day for us. And so uh, it's been kind of broken up a little bit. And of course, last Sunday morning we had Brother Abel's here at our ladies conference and so, uh, lots of, uh, of things uh, going on here, but let's follow this here. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And so what we're looking here is just asking the question, how well do you know Jesus? How much do you really know about him? And here on earth, we have the privilege uh, of getting to know people. As I look out over uh, our, our congregation this morning, there are some of you that I have known all your life. We call them children. Amen. Uh, and uh, there are others that we have known many years and have been through many, uh, many difficult times as members of the body of Christ, as servants together in the church of Jesus Christ. And yet, even my wife, who I would say, of all the people in this auditorium this morning, I probably know her better than anyone else. Of course, my children... Uh, they hate it. They say, Dad, you didn't even listen. I said, do you want me to tell you what you're thinking? How did you know? Uh, well, it's just a, a thing, a gift that God, God gives. Now, sometimes you can make mistakes, and uh, but most of the time I, I, I pretty much know what's going on. Why? Because I know the person. Do we know the Lord Jesus Christ like that? If he were to take you out to dinner, would you talk about the weather, the food, the service, the rotten music they're playing on the, uh, on the PA system or the sound system in the restaurant? Or would you have intimate fellowship about the work that Jesus is trying to accomplish in this world? See, that's, that's where Lazarus came in. He, he understood. When Jesus came to their house, he was, they conversed about the things that were important to Jesus Christ. Because those things were important to Lazarus. 
Have you ever met somebody who wanted to talk about what was important to them that didn't care one little bit if it was important to you? Uh, We call those people self-centered, do we not? And and yet God cannot be anything but self-centered because He is the Creator. Everything that now is comes from Him. God cannot want anything that is less than best because He's God. Hello? Are we still together? And so for you and I to adopt, to get a hold of, to make important in our lives what is important in His, would would that not be another one of those working definitions of knowing about Jesus Christ? Of of gaining a knowledge of Him? And, And if we want to know about someone, we... We would investigate. I mean, uh, how many followers do these... uh, I'm trying to think of a word that I can use. uh, Hollywood people. Uh, Maybe we'll just leave it there. Uh, How many followers do they have on Twitter? My wife will remember we met a... uh, She's laughing because she knows right where I'm going. See, we, we know each other. She had written all these letters. I can't even remember what star it was. Uh, Some celebrity. And somehow she had managed to get a hold of her personal cell phone that nobody had. And she called up this celebrity. And said, I've been one of your biggest fans. What she heard over the phone, she couldn't repeat. Uh, because that celebrity wanted to have nothing to do with whoever this freak was that got a hold of my personal number. And you could imagine that whoever her assistant was that was responsible for that number and its security got a good yelling at. And a new cell phone was gotten within the hour so she couldn't call back. Aren't you glad God's not that way? Here is the Creator. The authority. And now we're going through some of the Old Testament where we're researching about Jesus. We're going to find out things that are important to Him. You know, we, we could spend the whole time... Well, last time we spent the whole time on the first point of this message. That's Genesis chapter 17. When Jesus appeared with two angels in the plain of Mamre, and he talked to Abraham, he had two things that was going on. Number one, a promise that had been made to Abraham by God over 25 year, 24 years before. As Abraham entered into the land of Canaan, God said, I'm going to give you the land, and I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham and Sarah tried to work that out on their own, didn't they? It didn't work out so well. You never get anything good accomplished by trying to help God out. God does not need your help. In fact, that is one of my gravest criticisms we have of Islam as they keep talking about how great their God is, but... If he is so great, why do you have to protect him? 
why do you have to go about killing people who would only present a different truth than you hold and say, would you mind allowing a freedom of choice? Hey, we Baptists have always been for that. That's one of our historical distinctives. If you want to be an atheist, be my guest. But wouldn't I be ignoring my responsibility to you as a fellow member of the human race and to God himself to not warn you of the consequences of your decision? Is that so unreasonable? Yes, it is, according to the ACLU. Uh, according to the people who are so afraid that you just might convince them that they really are wrong because they already know that. They, they already know that. That's why they're so insecure. That's why they got to do everything in their power, resorting even to violence to protect their precious, held truth. And if you have to put uh, quotes around it, it's not true. Now, is it? But Jesus appeared to tell Abraham, Sarah's going to have a son. Now, Abraham, he had already left. You have to read that a few chapters earlier. But now it was... Sarah's turn to laugh. I'm going to have a baby at 89 years old? Well, that is pretty funny now, isn't it? Unless you're the lady that's going to have the baby, then I don't know it would be so funny. But I can think that she was probably laughing the whole time. Every pain was like, oh, my goodness. This is really happening. Isaac was born according to the word of the Lord. If you want to know what Jesus is interested in, He's interested in his word. Amen? But what was the second thing that he did? He gave Abraham the opportunity to intercede for the most godless, God-hating society in the history of mankind, the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know what that tells me? That Jesus is not willing that any should perish as Peter summed it up, that he is interested and that he wants to give us the only comfort we can have. You, you want comfort about people you know, people, family you care about that are unsaved? Follow Abraham's example. Pray. Give him the gospel whenever you can. Give him scripture verses. But the greatest thing you can do is pray. Because prayer doesn't change God. But it just might fix that thing with, that's wrong with you that's keeping that loved one from listening to the message of the gospel. Amen? There's an, Jesus is concerned about these things. Now I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. We're, we're going to try. Now, if we don't get done this morning, we'll just pick up uh, a week from Sunday and, and, and keep working our way through this thing. But Genesis chapter 32, and really this is one of those stories in the Bible. You read it and you just sit there and go, yeah, 
Here we have Jacob. Now, Jacob is about to meet Esau. We read in the beginning of this chapter, I believe it is, um, uh, uh, let's just start in verse uh, 1. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahananim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of Seir, the country of Eden, and commanded them. And we get down to verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau. Also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with thee. Now, that was encouraging, wasn't it? I mean, Jacob was still, he was one of those guys that never forgot anything. He, he knew what the score was. Now, Esau was one of those guys, as we will find out, that he didn't remember anything. I mean, they were twins, but they were not alike at all in personality. The Bible goes through. They were both very powerful men and strong men. You know, people tried to paint Jacob as a sissy because he was a plain man and dwell in tents. But you, you read the Bible stories. Jacob was no sissy. He, he was a man of strength, and this story is one of those ones that's going to tell about that, but uh, you, you don't have one guy standing against 401, especially when the one is Esau. Uh, they, they don't even do that in those stupid old karate movies. Uh, maybe 100 to 1, but 400 to 1? No, that doesn't work. Because uh, your imagination doesn't go. Jacob knew he was in trouble. Now, let me ask you a question. Was Jacob in trouble? Was Esau going to kill him? I mean, we read the account here. We can read the end of the story. What did Esau do? He fell on his neck and wept and kissed him and said, I missed you. You know, you'll always be afraid of the things that you shouldn't be afraid of. And when it comes to the things that you really ought to be concerned about, those are the ones that you're unafraid of. And that's where you get in trouble. You see, what God was going to do here is he's going to reorient Jacob. Jacob was so afraid of Esau. He, he takes what comes and you read the story here. And I mean, these are hundreds and hundreds of animals and this was just a little portion of the flocks that Jacob had. And he divided them up in droves so that Esau came up and slaughtered the servants and found these animals uh, and took them. Before long, he would have so many animals that it would be hard for him to go about the slaughter and, and still keep control of all of the animals that uh, Jacob had sent for a gift. Uh, Jacob was, he was that kind of guy. He, was, he had it all planned out. This part I don't get. He separated his uh, wives and, and their children and he put them all in different places in hopes that, it, <coughs> excuse me, if Esau found one and killed them, that he would think that he had gotten them all. And, and he prayed. He did pray. Uh, look at verse 6. And the messengers, okay, and verse 7, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people... 
And verse 6, 9, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto... You know what he's doing? He said, God, this is your fault. I'm just, I'm just doing what you said. Now we're all going to die. Now, before we get too far, how many of you have done that to God yourself? Hello? Guilty as charged? Well, Jacob prayed, he scattered his family, he sent the biggest bribe that he could possibly come along, come on, uh, get a hold of at that point. And the presentation uh, was in such a way as to be utterly fantastic and just all uh, Esau with Jacob's generosity and love and submission to his authority of his brother and all of these things. But then Jacob puts all of his family across the ford of this little river and he's on the other side all by himself. Now part of me wonders about that. What, what kind of man would put all of his family and everything he has out in front and hide all by himself in the back? Well, a scared man, number one. But not a very... Uh, not a man of very good character. Would you agree with me on that? And then comes the strange story. And this is the second appearance that we know for sure that Jesus Christ appeared in bodily form before Bethlehem's manger. And... We start in verse 24, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, this is the man he was wrestling with, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he, the man that he was wrestling with, said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, deceiver, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Now that's a strange story, is it not? Jesus showed up in person to wrestle with Jacob all night. Am I the only one who thinks that's just a little weird? I mean... The power that Jesus had, even as he appeared in a human body, as they were wrestling there, he just touched the hollow of his thigh. And Jacob, as far as we understand, limped for the rest of his life. And the children of Israel made a statute that when they were carving up the animals, that they would not take, they would just cut out that little thin section. I think we call that a flank stake. I'm not real sure. 
and uh, right there, the thin part over the thigh, over the hip bone, and they would not eat of it because uh, of what happened in Jacob when he was to Jacob as he was having this thing. It was a uh, this was something that affected the history of the nation of Israel, and, and Jacob personally was dragging one leg behind him for the rest of his life. You know, I put a lot of thought into trying to figure out why that happened. And I wish I had something really good to tell you. But you know what? The Bible doesn't tell us. What it does tell us was that Jacob wanted a blessing from God. You know what Jacob was trying to do? He was doubting the promises that God had made. Have you ever doubted the Word of God? The promises that God has given in this book called the Bible. There's a Heartland Course Tet song that they sing about this one promise, but that promise they sing about isn't in the Bible anywhere. Uh, the, the wording isn't there. Jesus said, I'll be with thee. Uh, uh, always, but uh, I always just kind of smile when I sing that song or hear that song on my playlist. Uh, but Jacob didn't have one of these to look up what God had told him 21 years before. And Jacob really wasn't the most trusting guy in the world, now was he? I mean, the whole time he was at Laban, he was carving niches in the rods and he was putting them in when the one cattle came and taking them out when the weaker cattle came. And he had this plan and that plan and he was manipulating this. And who who is the one that really got taken for a ride? It was Jacob, wasn't it? I mean, the deceiver met met his match. The uh, What do they call them? The confidence man or flim flam man. He met the master when he met his father-in-law. And if it had not been for God intervening, Jacob would have been killed at Mizpah and everything taken back to Syria. But God was still working. Jacob wasn't afraid of Laban, but he should have been. That was his greatest danger on the trip back to Israel. It was not Esau. But have you ever had so much angst and just turmoil inside that you couldn't stand yourself? You know what Jesus did? He came to help Jacob get past Jacob. He came to wrestle with Jacob until there wasn't anything left to resist Esau. Because what would have happened to Jacob if when Esau had come up, he had hidden a little knife in his belt? You may get everybody, but I'm going to get you first. Well, that history would have been very different now, wouldn't it? And Jacob was that kind of guy, wasn't he? Until he wrestled with Jesus all night. The next morning he could hardly stand straight. Let alone walk or run or do. And he, and I don't know how many of you have really wrestled 
Now, if you watch that stuff they call wrestling on television, uh, WWF or whatever it is, we have an altar up here and you can confess that sin and get that right with God. Uh, But real wrestling is one of the most physically draining things that you can do. Especially if you're wrestling against someone of superior strength. I mean, most matches are, are just a few minutes long because you, you are completely physically drained in, in just those few minutes. Imagine all night. And somewhere in the middle of the night, his hip was out of joint and he could no longer use his leg to push and grapple and, and, and all of this and the pain that would be involved in that. And Jacob wouldn't stop until the breaking of the day. And we know what he was after. Jacob knew who he was wrestling with. And he said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Now, God had given Jacob his word that he would carry on the blessing of Isaac, of Abraham, that ultimately in his seed, his family after him would be born the Messiah, that God would give him the land of Canaan, that all of that God would use Jacob to establish the twelve tribes of Israel. Jacob may not have understood that completely, but you read Genesis chapter 49 and 50, he had a pretty good idea of what God was going to do with his sons and the families. But he wanted a blessing. Now, can I ask you a question? Did God want to bless Jacob? He'd already told him that, hadn't he? Did Jacob believe that God wanted to bless him? No. So what did God have to do? He had to reorient Jacob's agita. Might we just use that famous Italian word there? Uh, All of that turmoil inside him, God had to exhaust him completely. So that the next morning as the sun arose... Jacob couldn't hardly keep his eyes open. Couldn't hardly put one foot in front of the other. Jacob couldn't do anything but trust God. Could we say amen to that? Can I challenge you that if God had had his complete and full sway in Jacob's life that it might not have been so difficult for Jacob to trust God. But because Jacob was there, Jacob had to do it Jacob's way. And it was tough on Jacob. Was it tough on the Lord Jesus Christ? Was he sweaty after wrestling all night? And said, boy, I need to be ministered to by the angels. No, that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not when he wrestled with Jacob. But I'll tell you this. Jacob wasn't right for the rest of his life. 
don't, don't wrestle with God to get something that he's already promised you. God will keep his word. Can we say amen to that? And God is far more interested in you keeping his word than you are interested in keeping his word. And I would like to suggest just my opinion about this passage is that God showed up to make sure that Jacob did not mess up the promises that God had given him. Now, I'm not a Calvinist. Never will be by God's grace. Because if I ever get Alzheimer's disease and forget all those things, then I can't remember all the things I need to remember to be a Calvinist. Amen? Uh, so, I, I'm just... Uh, But God works in people's lives to get His will accomplished. To keep His Word. And He showed up personally to make sure that Jacob had nothing left to do anything else but trust God. And the severity of the struggle, that was not God's fault. That was Jacob's fault. But God kept his word, didn't he? And Jacob limped the rest of his life. And the children of Israel would not even eat that portion of the, uh, of the animal that because they... They remembered this thing. They memorialized it in their tradition for, for the history of the land of Israel. Could I just put it this way? He showed up to Abraham to pronounce his promise and give Abraham a chance to pray for the salvation of others. He showed up here to help Jacob keep his words. God will give you grace to be obedient to His Word. It's important to Jesus. It, it, keeping His Word is important. Now let's turn to Joshua chapter 5. And I, I love this story. This one is just one of those stories that just puts things in proper perspective. Joshua has led the children of Israel over the Jordan River. Uh, they have encamped at Gilgal, and they've renewed the covenant there and, and uh, took care of some things that were neglected while they were wandering in the wilderness. And now uh, they had just kept the Passover, and apparently in the land of Israel, what is now Israel, was called Canaan at that point, there was such an abundance of the harvest that the excess harvest was just left sitting in different places. It said they, the children of Israel came into Gilgal and they ate the old corn of the land. They, they ate last year's harvest. Now, you can't just take a, 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 a pile of wheat and set it out in the rain and expect it to keep. It'll, it'll, be, it'll go bad in a couple of weeks. So, apparently they had some type of uh, garner, is the Bible word, a protective 
place to keep the rodents and all. But there was so much food in that land that the people of the land didn't even have it stored inside the cities. You've got to remember the children of Israel were about two million people. I mean, we're working on a chilly dinner for this afternoon, and that required several trips to different stores and all of that. Could you imagine feeding two million people? That that kind of supplies was just left unguarded in the land. And of course, once they ate the old corn of the land, the manna stopped because they didn't need it anymore. Then comes our story. Jesus shows up. Verse 13, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. I love that. Here's Joshua. He's just, things are going pretty good. Things are getting prepared. He knows the battle's coming. He knows the first major obstacle is the city of Jericho. They already sent the spies over there and all of those things. He knows the people of Jericho are deathly afraid. Joshua's just out looking over the territory and then he sees a man standing there. He's got a sword in his hand. It's out. This guy is ready to do business. This, this was not a friendly visit. And I'm sure that Joshua was looking there and, and look at the, the question here is in, in middle of verse 13. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? I mean, that's a pretty fair question. He said, Whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on their side? And he said, Nay, I'm not on anybody's side. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. But as the captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, Joshua makes a challenge. Whose side are you on? I remember reading uh, the memoir of a man. I actually met him in the airport. I think it was Dallas. Uh, He uh, had written a book on his service for the United States government in World War II. He was one of the first men to cross the Rhine River in a little pontoon boat. And he said, I can still... Here, the machine gun going. He said, but this is one thing I heard. He said, we were in our boat praying that God would keep us alive. He said, but I could hear the Germans praying the same thing. You read the Civil War. And we have generals fighting for the South, praying that God would give them victory and deliver them and... and, uh, I'm not. I'm not on that bandwagon. I, every once in a while, I meet somebody still fighting the Civil War, and I'm sitting here. Why you guys want to lose twice? I mean, come on. That's that's ridiculous. And how can you endorse anyone 
who would try to name the name of Jesus and endorse chattel slavery at the same time. How do you do that? I don't know how you do that. There are rotten guys on both sides too. And uh, what, what is the other thing? As long as there are tests, there will be prayer in public schools. Uh, everybody talks to God. Everybody wants God on their side. Well, how about we do it a little differently? How about we join his side? I mean, that was a battle I had to fight in my own person. I grew up in a church that was very much like a Baptist church. Uh, in fact, if you go there today, they'll tell you they're a Baptist church. And uh, the doctrine that I learned in that church was Baptist doctrine. I didn't know it. Nobody told me. I'm a sophomore in Bible college, and I'm contemplating what the Lord would have for me. And, and I came to a startling discovery. I did not have the right to start my own church if Jesus had already started his. I should join his church. And that's why I was baptized as a sophomore in Bible college. Uh, I I became a Baptist. I I just didn't know. You know what? Joshua didn't know who that was. He didn't recognize. They didn't have pictures of of Jesus. And by the way, none of those pictures look like Jesus did. Amen. He's not effeminate. He's not any of those other things. He had a sword drawn in his hand. And he said, I'm here as the captain of the Lord's host. You know what Joshua did? He got down on his face. You know what he was doing? He said, if you want to chop off my head, you be my guest. I am surrendering my authority to you. He worshipped him. He was on his face. And he said, you tell me what to do. Now, that was an exceptionally reasonable and good response. Because Joshua could have never figured out what to do with Jericho if Jesus hadn't told him what to do. Because that is the only time in history that the battle worked out the way it did in Jericho. Where they marched around the city so many times, once every day, and then the seventh day they marched around seven times, gave a shout, and the walls fell down. Uh, I mean, nobody could figure that out unless you... Got it from God. Amen? This was the fulfillment. Abraham died. The only place that he owned was the cemetery, the cave of Machpelah. One field, one cave. When Isaac died, that was all the land that they owned in Israel. When Jacob died, he didn't own anything except the cave of Machpelah. He had a a plot of land outside of Shechem, but he wasn't going back there because some bad things had happened there. And he didn't want to relive those details or let anybody know that he had a part in that thing. Jesus came to instruct Joshua at the moment of the beginning of the fulfillment of his promise to Abraham to give him the land of Canaan. I always like to ask this question. Who lives there today? Who's living in the land of Israel today? 
And if you call it Palestine, I hope I have the presence of mind to correct you. It's not Palestine. It's Israel. Because God gave the Jews that land. It is theirs. Is it is the state of Israel fulfillment of the biblical promises? No. That comes during the millennial kingdom. But God doesn't go back on his word. Amen? Look. He told Joshua, take off your shoes. Now, there are certain people, you go to their house and they want you to take off their shoes. You know why? Because they don't want you bringing all the dirt and everything that's out in the street into their home. That's, that's a probably a pretty good rule. You know what God was telling Joshua right here? Wherever you've been and whatever you've done, it doesn't make any difference anymore. You've got to leave that at the doorpost and you've got to follow me my way. Could we say amen to that? See, Joshua didn't have to wrestle with Jesus. He was already ready to listen. Jesus is absolutely concerned that we know his word and how to do his work. That's why when someone calls up and says, oh, we've got this grand new program that will get you contacts for your church. I'm sorry, not interested. Oh, why, why aren't you interested? Because I already have a plan. We already have everything. Well, how, how many people do you have? I had someone actually do this. And I said, you know, that's really none of your business. We've got the people that God wants us to have. And we're not interested in marketing. And I couldn't get the person off the phone. Finally, just had to, you know, I'm not talking. Bye. Click. I don't like doing that to people. Well, sometimes. But anyway, uh, obnoxious people who won't be quiet, who keep trying to tell me that I should do something that I know I shouldn't. Hey, Joshua didn't have the Bible to read, but you and I do. We, we know God's plan. We know how to get it done. We have his instruction. I mean, we sang that song, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Amen? Stand in his strength alone. And that's what Joshua was talking about. And Joshua learned, and Joshua got the directions, and Joshua followed those directions. But how many of you remember what happened in uh, Jericho? A guy named Achan. He decided he didn't need to follow the instructions of the Lord and he brought death upon 38 men of Israel when they went to the little town of Ai. And Joshua fell on his face and said, Lord, why didn't you just leave us on the other side of Jordan? And the same Lord that had given him directions here said, get up. Why? He said, there's sin in the camp. Aren't you smart enough to figure this out? If God didn't take care of you, it's because you disobeyed his word. They got the problem straight. And victory was assured as they went through the conquest of the land of Canaan. You see, God came to instruct Joshua at the precipice of the fulfillment of the promises made. 
God's interested in fulfilling His Word. You want to you get to know Jesus. You want to know what's important to Him. He wants to fulfill His words. Now, you can wrestle with Him if you want. But it'd do best if you just kicked off your shoes and got on your face and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, we got one more. Daniel chapter 3. Cannot talk about Old Testament appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ, pre-incarnate appearances of the Lord, and sometimes that's really a misnomer because Jesus had a physical body. Jacob couldn't have wrestled with the Spirit, that's for sure. But this was before Bethlehem's manger. Jesus appeared as a man. But, but there was something different about him. Abraham recognized that there was something different as he saw him standing in the, uh, 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 saw him standing from the door of his tent. He ran out to meet him and, and brought them in. Jacob knew there was something different. You don't normally get in a fight with somebody and say, I'm not quitting until you bless me. It's normally, I'm not quitting until you give up, right? Uh, uh, and Jacob knew something was different there. Joshua, as soon as he understood who he was, he got down on his face and said, you give me some instructions here. I, I, I want to I be your servant. I want to be on your side. Uh, I'm going to follow you. Now we get to Daniel chapter 3. The children of Israel, because of their disobedience, have been carried out. Jerusalem's been sacked. Uh, we're not 100% sure if the temple had actually been destroyed at this time, but uh, uh, it, it uh, may well have been. And Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he couldn't remember the dream. And so when the wise men said, listen, only God can tell you something that you forgot in your own mind, uh, he would ordered all the wise men of Babylon killed. And so the guy shows up at Daniel's house and says, Okay, guys, come on. Where are we going? We're going to kill you. What? Well, the king said all the wise men die, so you and your, your friends here, you're all dying. What did we do? Oh, you didn't do anything, but nobody can answer the king, so you're going to die. And Daniel says, um, Just a minute. Guys, pray. Uh, will you give us just a few moments to... Talk to God and then we'll talk to the king. And Daniel went in and gave the king the history of the world in a dream. Nebuchadnezzar's image that he dreamed. The head of gold. Shoulders of silver. Loins of brass. Legs of iron. Toes of iron mixed with clay. The kingdoms of the history of the world. Nebuchadnezzar. Let me see now. Oh, I'm going to forget what came after Nebuchadnezzar. The Persians. I mean, not the Persians. Um, yes, the Medes and the Persians. And then after them came the Greeks. After the Greeks came the Romans. And someone said the two legs typify the two divisions, the Eastern and Western Roman Empire. Uh, well, God could have had that in mind. The ten toes are the ten kings yet to come. We're still waiting for that. Well, Nebuchadnezzar thought, hey, this is a pretty good dream. 
I'm the head of gold. And so he made a statue 90 foot tall out of solid gold. I wonder if he had his face engraved at the top of it. What do you think? Well, I, I don't think we're stretching Scripture to say that. Nebuchadnezzar thought a lot about himself. In fact, he had just been told he was the head of gold. And so, Daniel chapter 3, he builds this thing and he commands that everybody in his kingdom... Now, of course, people have always surmised what happened to Daniel. Was he away on business? Well, Daniel was the source of all this information. And he knew that Daniel uh, got that information from the God of heaven. And so, he didn't bother Daniel. But he's going to bother everybody else. He's going to make sure everybody else recognized him. And they made all of the music and all of the noise and everybody fell down and there were three guys standing there. Now that's hard for me to believe because there were a lot more Jewish men there than three guys. But... Then again, when Daniel and his three friends purposed not to defile themselves with the king's meat, as far as we know, they were the only four guys that got through Nebuchadnezzar College without defiling themselves as Jewish men. And you always have, I don't know what we call them, but nitpickers or whatever, they were... They're, they're, everybody's supposed to be bowing down on their face before this image. How in the world did these guys know those three guys didn't do it? And I uh, identify them. It's kind of like, Mommy, Joey was playing with his food during the prayer. Well, how did you know that if you weren't had your eyes open during the prayer, right? I mean, that's what was going on here. Very childish. But it wasn't childish to Nebuchadnezzar. Because he called them up and he asked them and he told them, if you be ready. Now, um, look at the last phrase in verse 15. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now, Nebuchadnezzar really didn't know it at this moment. Because he was too consumed thinking that he was the greatest and most powerful man in the history of mankind. And actually he was at this point. And he said, who is that God? God was listening. Shadrach and Meshach didn't, in Abednego, they didn't know God was listening. They said, we're not careful to answer thee, O king. Now, that was an insult. I'm not going to pick my words wisely. We're not going to sit here and counsel about this thing. We we are not going to be kind in our response or or diplomatic. We're not going to try to do anything nice here. We're just telling you, king, we're not going to do it. Our God is able to deliver us, and if he chooses to let us die, we'd rather die obeying our God than obeying you. Those are fighting words. Anybody's book. Nebuchadnezzar heated the furnace. I mean, we know the story. That's why we have the Through the Bible time on Sunday morning, so we can go through all the details of the story. 
He heated the furnace up seven times more than it had ever been heated. And he took his strongest men and they bound them in their clothes. You know, they have those um, those hats that are all wrapped around yards of fabric. Well, they just unwrapped them and tied up their hands and uh, they took off their leggings and tied up their feet and they bound them uh, hand and feet with their own clothing. And then the soldiers threw them into the furnace and the heat of the furnace killed the men who threw them in. They were laying there dead, roasting in the, at, at the edge of the furnace. And then Jesus showed up. I like this. Why did Jesus have to show up? Who else was going to untie these guys? You know, the Bible's so simple when you think about it, isn't it? They they couldn't untie themselves. I mean, they were they were bound. They were carried like 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 a like you would a side of lamb or something, and they were just thrown into that furnace. And the men that had done it were dead. So all of a sudden, somebody else shows up and starts untying them, and they start walking around in the furnace. About this time, Nebuchadnezzar has a spasm. He says, counselors, how many did we throw in the furnace? He said, well, three of them. How many are there? Uh, we see four, O king. He said, I thought you were going to say that. He said, that fourth one's like the Son of God. How did Nebuchadnezzar know that the fourth one was like the Son of God? Because there's something different about that fourth man, wasn't there? He looked like a man, but there's something different. I love the words of the Fanny Crosby song. I'll know him by the prints of the nails in his hand. She was blind. He said, we'll, we'll recognize Jesus when we see him. Amen. You see... What were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego doing? Were they just being obedient to God's laws? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Isn't that what they were doing? Jesus said, I'm going to honor those men that just want to keep my words by showing up, keeping them from the fire, Now, history is written in the blood of the martyrs. But this instance, Jesus decided to show up and humble the king. Can I challenge you that these four times we looked at of Jesus leaving heaven's glory and appearing as a man here on earth, each time was about honoring the words of God. He even engaged in a wrestling match with Jacob to help Jacob come to the end of himself so that Jacob wouldn't have any choice but to trust in God.
He allowed Abraham to intercede for the most godless community in the history of mankind and then sent the two angels in to grab Lot by his hand and drag him and his daughters and his wife out of the city before judgment fell. Don't you talk to me and criticize God for his judgment when the whole Bible is full of his mercy. Amen? Why is it so hard for us just to obey the words of this book? Because of our nature. How do we fix it? Oh, Joshua had a pretty good plan, didn't he? He just got down on his face, took off his shoes, said, you tell me what to do. That's what the Bible's about. The three Hebrew children, we call them the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. They weren't children, they were grown men. How did they end up there? They didn't have a copy of the Bible, but they knew their Ten Commandments. And they knew that first one. And they knew it was wrong to bow down and give homage or to worship an image made by man. And they said, we're just going to hold on to the Word of God and we're going to do what the Bible says no matter what. You know what they call that? Faith. You know, God's not going to test you in the same way he tested them. But their story is in here because we're going to be tested this coming week. Are you just going to hold on to the word of God no matter what? Or are you going to bend and try to make nice with the world? I promise you, if you're interested in what Jesus is interested in, you don't have to be mean. You don't have to be rude. But you have to be true to the Word of God. Amen? Praise God. Our battle, the Bible tells us the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't have to pick up a physical sword or weapon and go out there and fight for God. He's going to fight those battles. But those battles are no less real in our own heart and life. And we have instruction You're following part of that instruction by being in church today. This is where we are encouraged to serve the Lord and be obedient to His Word. That's why we have the men's conference coming up. It's just a time to encourage. And if you can't make it this year, we're planning on doing this again next year. And so start making plans now. If you're going to be like Jacob... How about getting war out now instead of making it last all night? Amen. Don't forget to pray, even for those that hate God. But God always keeps his word and we never get anything accomplished by trying to help God keep his word. He's the captain. We're the soldiers. Follow orders. Amen. Might get you into an awful lot of trouble. But 
Jesus is the only one that can get you out. So it would be best to be found obeying orders when you need the Lord's help to get out of trouble now, wouldn't it? Otherwise, he has to judge you for the sin that you've sinned before he can help you out of the problem. See, those are the things that Jesus is interested in. If you want to know about Jesus, you need to think about the things that he's interested in. I'd say a trip from heaven to earth would demand a great deal of interest and concern, wouldn't you? And so we've looked at four of those times in the Bible. Yeah, that you can argue for others, and that's not the point of the message this morning. The point of the message this morning is simply, if Jesus is so concerned about his word and keeping his word and giving us the ability to keep his word, would it not behoove us to return that interest in keeping the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could we say amen to that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would open our eyes, that we, we would know Jesus a little better, that we could have a knowledge of him, of the things that are his concern, the things that would interest him, and Lord, that we would make those things ours, our interest, our concerns, that, that we would get to know Jesus better. Help us to be faithful in our Bible reading. Help us to be faithful in our church attendance. Help us, Lord, we pray for those that are in this auditorium this morning that are not saved that they would understand all the work that Jesus has done to save them and surrender to the salvation that only Jesus can give. Lord, we ask you to work in our lives that we may bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as Andrew leads in the hymn of invitation. If you need to come, the altar's open.